to you live from Human Music Studios. This is where the magic happens, one note at a time, and definitely not to exceed three. Anyways, welcome to a special interview episode with Ryan Elder this week on International RSS, the unofficial Rick and Morty podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Travis. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Brandon. Uh, I, I always feel like I come in hot right there, right there at the top. I yeah. really, really lean into the intro. I definitely don't use the very first thing you say as a reference for the rest of the 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 episode's audio. Cause, cause I, you, could you imagine if I was at that level for for the whole show? It'd be completely different. It'd be a completely different podcast. Oh my god, it would be it would be completely different. It would be interdimensional. Travis yells at the microphone. <laughs> podcast. Get it together, everybody. Let's talk about Ricks and Mortys. <laughs> it's just so aggressive. Just so. <laughs> Anyways, well, we're we're very happy that that you're joining us again for uh, another episode of Interdimensional RSS. We're we're excited to present excited. our spe- special interview with Ryan Elder, uh, taking taking a brief pause from season one's episode recap shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is that is the truth. We since we do have basically a bajillion years before season four comes back on, we wanted to get some more some more interviews out, and and we don't want to we don't want to cut too deeply into the seasons themselves. But we thought this is a good good breaking point uh, in the middle of the season to just to just just talk to uh, Mister Elder. Mr. Elder. Yeah. That's his father. That, that and he said yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, he, fi- that's... He, he finally found was like, let's do it this week. We're like, uh, all right, time for a break. <laughs> uh, so, yes. Uh, so there's there's timing, there's luck and availability. Yeah. But... Yeah. It's however you want to spin it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of spinning things, if you uh, if you want to reach out to this podcast and our many avenues for doing so, you could hit us up on Twitter over at Rick and Morty Pod. You can check out our subreddit, rickandmortypodcast.reddit.com, over on Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Are you, are you Facebook. Swedish? Facebook. All of a sudden. <laughs> fort, fort, fort. This is uh, interdimensional? I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, facebook.com slash rickandmortypodcast. Uh, rickandmortypodcast at gmail.com. That's the email. And then you can get shirts at apatheticenthusiasm.com slash shop and support the show monetarily. At patreon.com slash Rick and Morty pod. Thank you to everybody hanging out on the Patreon Discord server this Thank week. Thank you. We, <laughs> we, uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, nuggets and, and other, other things. Uh, so, so, yeah, there, the conversation lives on over on our Discord server, uh, which you can check out if you're a patron. So, uh, Brandon, well, we got. Uh, we, we got a whopper of we got a whopper of an interview. We 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 it's, we do. I, I, it's high quality stuff. We do, but the but the first important thing to say for our patron patrons is if you're watching this video, we apologize for the shitty facial hair. That is that is all. Yeah, yeah, and that's we only apologize to patrons because they're the only ones that get to see <laughs> our faces. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and and moving on from that. Uh, little news nugget. I think let's get into the rest of our semi-pertinent news. Yeah. The semi-pertinent news. 
yeah, that's my my reboot. Uh, speak, <laughs> speaking of reboot, uh, the the very very first thing that we have on the list. There's there's not a whole lot of semi pertinent news out there, but we do have Oni Press just came out with their Rick and Morty presents Vindicators, and it's their it's their their comic book, and it's their it's a one. Uh, they're doing this like Rick and Morty one shots basically. So like uh, highlighting characters or whatever, just these kind of one-off stories. Anyways, this, this one-off story this month is about the Vindicators and they're coming back for an adventure, the all new Vindicators and they're assembling. Uh, I, I, I picked it up. Uh, I know Travis, you're afraid to go to your local comic shop because you, it's a fact uh, since you probably have like, three months worth of polls that you still have to it's probably like way more than three months <laughs> i probably owe them a child at this point uh no i support your local comic shop everybody uh so i have i have a question about this this issue is this is this like vindicators one or two like is this like the previous vindicators or is or does this take place after is it a completely different dimension what's there's so many what's there's so many different dimensions out there travis you know in infinite universes so it 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 is a means for them to bring back the vindicators and i'm not going to spoil anything for those who want to read the comic which i highly recommend that you do but uh it's 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 really good there's a lot of there's a lot of different references and characters in it that I think right. that I think fans will appreciate. Uh, you know, in a way, it feels Blood Dome Battle League ish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I I I feel gives uh, a lot more credit to Blood Dome Battle League than maybe it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're welcome, Oni, for us doing those these three <laughs> episodes or whatever. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, go go pick go pick up that comic and all the other. Rick and Morty comics because it is a great way to uh, sort of fill the the Rick and Morty uh, gap. I, here's here's okay. I I, I want to just say this. I don't know that it fits well, but I had this weird like panic attack over over the last couple of weeks where um, maybe I think I was listening to Dan Harmon's Harmontown and him like being frustrated about Rick and Morty. No, I I think I was reading a tweet or. It was on Instagram where he's like, I don't, I don't make that show anymore. They don't pay me to make that show anymore. Right. <laughs> and, and then I had this like freak out, like, what if, what if they just didn't sign a contract? Like, what if, what if they just didn't come to an agreement? Like, and then I hyperventilated for several minutes and then <laughs> got a diet Shasta or whatever I, whatever I did. After the, the most popular podcast of mine will have nothing left. <laughs> I have nothing. Uh, I I'd be, I'd, I feel like we would just sit down for a weekend, talk about every other episode, and then just be like, "All right, fine. Let's just <laughs> let's just let's just knock out all of them right now." Yeah. Uh. So okay. Moving on. The the very last thing before we get on to the the main thing. Of course, it's the Dan Harmon tweet minute when everything's got a minute, including Rice Aroni. Oh, I think Rice Aroni has its own. I, I, rice roni they have like a separate rice whatever like uncle ben i don't know are you matter. talking about minute rice no 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 no. that's why would anybody, that's a minute why would anybody uh, like i have an idea for a rice company called 30 second rice <laughs> no no stealing of material brandon <laughs> no nope there's something about brandon okay uh <laughs> dan Harmon's tweet minute this week he says 
Genesis's No Son of Mine is the Terminator 2 to Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle, except when the son is sinking himself into lava and gives a thumbs up, the dad pees on his thumb. And there you That's go. That's Dan Harmon tweeting in it, everybody. <laughs> uh, he, he's made a, several Terminator 2 references recently. I, think, I have a feeling he like watched that movie or something. Like it's, it's present in the forefront of his mind. It's a great, it's a great flick. Can't, you can't deny James Cameron that. I, I wouldn't mind a, a Terminator 2 episode reference in a, in, a, in a future Rick and Morty. That'd be... Oh, yeah. Good. That'd be some kind of all right. Let's let's do it when we're writers for the show, but only for the, yeah. the one-offs. Well, if this contract <laughs> never gets signed, we may be writers for the show. Oh, shit. That that's never exists. Uh, all right. Idea. Well, that, that's that's it for, for semi-pertinent news, everybody. Uh, and and we've belabored it long enough, I think. Uh, I don't know if I belabored belabored that that oh, term correctly. Nine months belabored. <laughs> uh, so so as as we've said several times, Ryan Elder did join us for an interview. Uh, we recorded this up almost two weeks to the day. Uh, so so yep. it was on the actual uh release date of the sauce, which we'll mention. Uh, I think at the top of this interview. Yeah. Uh, and 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 then we move quickly past it. And into some awesome stuff. Uh, do you anything else you want to say before we get into the interview, or do you just want to let the interview kind of speak for itself? I, I just I just want I just want Ryan Elder's soothing melodic voice to carry <laughs> us away. Uh, okay. Anyways, so here's here it is. Here is the main thing with Ryan Elder. Main thing. Stealing. Things from other, other, other things. That's Sonic the Hedgehog. Anyways, Ryan Elder, everyone. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Interdimensional RSS with a special guest. We are very excited to have Ryan Elder on the show with us. Thanks for, thanks for being here, Ryan. Yeah, you guys got it. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, am, I am so, my palms are so sweaty mom spaghetti oh come uh, on <laughs> well well i i will say as a disclaimer brandon is is really big into uh music in general but also the the music of the show and and so i think uh, having you on to kind of talk about your process and talk about sort of how you got interested in music and 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 got involved with rick and morty and everything it's uh it's it's something that we're both really excited to kind of dive into and, and and hear your perspective Cool. All right. So anyway, so so welcome. Happy happy Monday. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're 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 recording this on the uh, the infamous Sauce release day. So. Oh, that's uh, right. You know, yeah. We'll we, we'll clear the air of that oh, before before. Hold on, know, I have to go else. get some. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll we'll wait. Just. <laughs> yeah. 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 Actually, just just uh, is your rig portable? Then you could just take us through the drive through and. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's not portable, but um, you know the downside to getting that sauce is you have to get the chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> so anyway, enough, enough about the sauce. We we talked about that at length. You guys did a whole podcast about the sauce. You know. We, yeah. yeah. We did. We, sure we, did. we we. Hey, it was at least we, it was only in one part, unlike. Uh, that official one, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So, so Ryan, we, we want to start off and I mean, get, get the, the basics out of the way, your, your history and, and your background, right? Uh, sure. How did, how did you get your start in, in music? 
in, in early on, did you know that it's kind of what you were destined for? Uh, oh gosh. Uh, so question at the start. <laughs> yeah, I, I never, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I thought I was destined, you know, I'm like, I, I started playing violin when I was five. I started taking violin lessons and actually in the world of violin, that's about two and a half years late to start. Huh. So I was always, I was always like a little bit behind the good, the good players that started when they were like three. Uh, but you know, I played violin all growing up. My mom would bring me to lessons every other week and it, it, it was great. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, but at some point violin kind of became a chore. And then I discovered that girls like guys who play guitar. So in high school, I started playing guitar. Tell tell me about it. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, uh, in addition to, you know, thinking, oh, a girl's going to fall in love with me, which didn't really happen um, <laughs> based on my guitar skills, at least. Um, I, I also was like, you know, I get to play songs I like instead of playing obscure classical songs that I, my teacher wants me to learn. So in the, in the meantime, my dad was, had like, he was like a, uh, amateur recording artist. He, 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 he made like an album of his own when I was in high school. And so he had all this like recording gear and drum machines and keyboards and stuff. And so at the same time as I was taking lessons growing up, I was like writing like pop songs, yeah. boy band songs, uh, with my dad and my brothers and stuff, which I don't have a recording of, but God, I would die to hear. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. So, and then I went to, when I went to college, I majored in music with sort of a focus in composition and violin performance. After college, I became, I took an unpaid internship at a recording studio in LA that did music for commercials. I thought I was going to be a music engineer, like a recording engineer. And yeah. I thought they did records there. So the first day I show up and I found out they did commercials, it was very strange. I was, oh, I am doing this for three months. <laughs> but what I found was that like doing commercials is actually really fun as a composer because you're doing something totally different every day. And your skills at all styles of music get like really, really good, like really fast. And as an intern, I, they let me spend time in the studio and demo on spots like for my own uses. And eventually they brought me on as like a dub room assistant, someone who just like drove tapes all over town. And this was in the, this was in 2000, 2001. So people still were still using tapes and CDs. <laughs> CDs. And, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. The MP3 was like just something that those computer guys on oh, totally. Napster were messing I, yeah, with. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. I had MP3s, but I was just fresh out of college. So like I was way ahead of the game by having MP3s on my computer compared to my coworkers <laughs> at, at the studio. So I did that for a while. And in the meantime, I like at night, I would just like demo on their commercials. And uh, about a month into my time there, I did a Juicy Juice commercial that went final. Nice. And that was like, oh, maybe I can do this. That big Juicy Juice break. That's... It was a big It was my big break. It was a hamster playing soccer, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> uh, but I, I really enjoyed that and uh, started, I just became a staff composer for that company. They're called Emoto Music now. At the time, they're called Ad Music. And I worked for the, I still work with them actually. Um, I'm still like kind of on their roster of composers, but I was a staff composer there from 2001 until 2011, basically. So like 10 years. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, right when I kind of decided to go freelance and focus more on TV is when I did the Rick and Morty pilot. So I got super lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of stepped right in at the right spot. (laughs) About as lucky as a composer can get, for sure. Um, To not only get to work on a show, like get to work on a show right away that's all my own, but also a show that's good and I like. Uh, yeah, and, and so while you while you're at Ad Music uh, now, Emoto, you were you were doing the Channel 101 stuff at the same time. Oh, right? yep, uh, absolutely, yeah. So at night, I'd work all day, work all day. Sometimes work at night, but uh, and then when I had time, free time, I would do these Channel 101 videos. Which, uh, just for your listener, real quick, Channel 101 is kind of like um, it's like a monthly film festival where people submit five minute television shows and the audience watches 10 shows and they vote for their five favorites. Top five vote getters get to make the next episode. The rest are canceled. It's like a mini TV network. It's uh, really, really fun. Totally free of any corruption of money. So people just make <laughs> everything for the love of it. And that's where I met Justin and Dan. Actually, Dan started channel 101 and Justin was like one of its early stars. Yeah. So I met, met yeah, those I- guys there. Yeah. Was it wasn't like uh, uh, Doc and Marty and stuff? Wasn't that like Channel One Hundred One stuff? Yeah, Doc on? and Marty was a Channel One Hundred One. Uh, it was, I believe, it was a failed pilot, meaning it screened, but it didn't get voted back, so he didn't get to make a second episode. Which I guess when you watch it, I mean, it brought the house down. Everything Justin ever did brought the house down. But some people were like, Ugh, it's so gross. I can't vote for that. <laughs> and he just like wanted to make the audience. He loves going to the screening and watching people just die about how uncomfortable they are. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that's always been his MO. And I loved his stuff. Like I always voted for his stuff. And I, I remember just thinking like this guy is literally it's going to be impossible for him not to make something successful someday um and he he's also just an amazingly cool dude so i started hanging out with him like just as friends for a long time and uh when he when he and i did a bunch of helped him without with a bunch of pitches for fox and mm-hmm. and uh um uh cartoon network we did a pitch actually I don't know if you guys know this. You probably do. Um, the theme song for Rick and Morty was originally a pitch that we did for a different Cartoon Network show called Dog World that they passed, yeah, I, they passed I, on. I just like looked that up today, actually. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, like, I did a bunch of stuff with Justin over the years. And I remember when I first saw that Rick and Morty animatic, we were working on it. And he's like, "We, I want, you know, the network's going to pay for us to do this animatic we have a budget and i was like oh sweet fine <laughs> let's let's all get paid for once and uh and the the animatic was so good and like it's pretty much the pilot as it is now the only scene that changed really was the very opening we, the first animatic had a different opening yeah. i mean there were th- there are obviously little changes here and there but all of the really good stuff the the they're 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 bureaucrats. I don't respect them. They're like, that joke has been in there since the beginning. Um, so like all of the good stuff from the pilot was there. And I just remember thinking like, this is the one, this is going to be the one. I don't know. Like maybe this is just looking back with, with uh, hindsight is 2020, but it just seemed so good. And, and, and so much optimism that just happened to pay off that time. 
Yeah. And I remember like when we finally made the real pilot, we had, they had this like party, like they did the fully animated pilot. Uh, Adult Swim hadn't picked up the show yet, but we made this, they, we did this party or whatever. And I remember just watching it fully animated pretty much for the first time for me. Cause I score to the animatics, which we can get into, but um, I remember just people talking to other people and just being like, yeah, this is one of the best pilots that we've ever seen. It was just like, so, and you guys know, like the pilot is people's kind of a lot of people's least favorite episode, but as pilots go, we've talked about that a few times on the podcast. And, uh, oftentimes for me, like if I'm trying to introduce the show to somebody new, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to show them the pilot right off the bat, just because, um, the show builds so quickly from, from there. Yeah. like it does a really good job of introducing who everybody is, but like it's it's probably not the best episode. Yeah, uh, even in season one. Yeah, that I mean that's a really good discussion. I think a lot of people like to have is like where do you start people, and the answer is honestly you could probably pick just about any episode, and they if they're gonna like the show, they're gonna like any episode. Is my my opinion, but uh, you know I I, I lean towards you know me seeks. Is a, I think me seeks is a great start because you gotta throw people in the deep end a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I knowing that we 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 recorded uh, the me seeks episode yesterday, and oh, okay. and rewatching it, knowing that we were going to talk to you today, I was listening to some of the background music. It was like when they go into the adventure world, and it's got that like le- that whimsical theme in the background. How difficult is it, or or how many I guess cues do you have to come up with for for Justin Dan, like on average on an episode for like even a particular segment of 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 a show? Yeah, so I I think I saw I figured this out last year, and I now I've kind of forgotten. But the show has on average like eleven to to thirteen minutes of music per episode, and that's anywhere between. I think like Pickle Rick had 10 cues, which isn't a lot. And then some of the other episodes have more like 18 to 20 cues. And they're, you know, they're not long. Most of them are short. Um, like even the sort of like emotional moments are only like 20 seconds long often. Yeah. So it's not a music heavy show, which is kind of the, the point. Um, you know, the, especially a lot of the family interactions, like it's always been the, the case that Justin and especially Dan don't want the music to to get in the way at all. Dan's really, really big on staying out of the way for the comedy, especially. Mm-hmm. It was like Dan's idea to play the whole Pickle Rick kills a bunch of rats fight totally dry. <laughs> like that has no music. Yeah. It has music leading up to it, but the whole him killing all the rats was like completely dry. I actually scored that whole thing and, and Dan was like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this dry. And it was totally smart because that once you get the sound effects in there, it's like, there's no room for music anyways. So, you, you know, one of the reasons I think that Dan and I work so well together is that I also kind of feel like the, the, the more I can get away with not scoring stuff, the better actually, because that, that, I mean, for me, that's like the strength of the show is more evident then, but a lot of stuff, you know, definitely benefits from music. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that in, in most, in most media, there's this this balance of having music that enhances a scene not necessarily it doesn't drown it out it doesn't take the focus yeah. of a scene necessarily 
Yeah, I mean, especially nowadays, the, re- the the sort of modern way to score, especially TV, not animated, well, kids animation, but a lot of TV now is wall-to-wall music, and they just want music to just, like, be pulsing underneath. You don't really hear it, but it's there creating a mood, I guess. And yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of that. If two people are just talking to each other and there's not much at stake, I... I, I don't need to hear music, but, but that's just the way it's done. And so I, I'm lucky that I get to work on something where I get to use my vision of what I, of where I think the music should go. Like I basically get the animatic with no music at all. And I go through myself and choose where I want the music to be. And, uh, that is extremely rare in the business of television composing most of the time you at least sit down with the show creators and they tell you, I want music here. I want music here. I want music here. But Dan and Justin and I have just really worked it out where they trust me and I know where they're going to want music almost every time. Absolutely. And, that, and that's, and I, I think that's, uh, I, I'm not, in, I'm not in that uh, career field, uh, but I feel like, I feel like that's a fairly unique um, way of, of doing it and, and a really a powerful way, especially as a composer to have that, kind of freedom and and the trust of the, uh, the the showrunners as well. Yeah, I mean, my ultimate goal is to serve their vision of the show, right? So if they have notes, of course I'm going to address the notes. But it is very, very cool to sort of get that first crack at my vision of the music mm. that's based on their vision. So, you know, uh, ultimately I need to serve the story. I need to tell the story. I need to make sure that I don't get in the way and that when there are moments where the music needs to step forward and be a huge part of the show, that I am ready and willing to do that as well. Which this show does have uh, some very iconic scenes and iconic songs where really the music sort of moves into the forefront. Uh, how, how does that differ for you when, when, when the writers come and say, hey, we want them to you know, perform on stage for a bunch of floating heads or, yeah. or, or some, some sort of thing like that. What, what, what kind of unique challenges does that present for you? Yeah. I mean, so for, you're talking about get swifty. Um, let's talk about, let's talk for your, for the context that you're talking about, actually goodbye moon men would probably work better just for, okay. Uh, I'll tell you why later, but, um, yeah. When, so when they come to me and are like, we want to do a song, right. Um, and or, or a lot of times I'll just get the script and it'll say and the line producer will say, hey, there's a song on page 32 of the script. Uh, we need that before we start animating, before we start doing the animatic. And so I'll get that and I'll look in for Goodbye Moon Man. It just said like, a, you know, a David Bowie uh, fart sings a David Bowie style song. <laughs> Um, and one of the best sentences ever, written. I know something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's the lyrics that were there. So the, the writer, uh, had written the lyrics and they were in the script. So at that point I was just like, all right, let me just listen to as much David Bowie as I can, which God forbid, terrible, terrible curse. Uh, no, I, um, it was amazing. So I just listened to a ton and then I, I keyed in on one, some of the ones that were definitely more, cause I knew it was going to be real spacey and weird. So I keyed in on some of the real traditional, like, classic david bowie ziggy stardust life on mars um what's the um ground control to major tom what's that called yeah space oddity space oddity yeah so i i um i i always have a i always forget the names of things anyways um rocket man i think is uh (laughs) 
Uh, Elton John, Dave Bowie. I mean, they're the same. Yeah, they're the same artists, pretty much. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm, you know, I'm listening a ton of David Bowie, and then I just start messing around with my guitar. And that, I mean, that one, yeah, it's cool. Like the process for that is, I start way earlier whenever there's a song. Uh, another one that I started earlier was the Tiny Rick episode. There's two songs in that one that Tiny Rick sings. So those, they needed at least something rough to do the animatic to for timings. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, whip those together and, and then I'll revisit them later when I'm finalizing the episode. But that's usually honestly like six to eight months later. (laughs) Uh, The process is really protracted. Um, I know I talked to my other composer friends and they just can't believe how much time I have per episode. It's like an insane amount of time because there's so many moving parts in animation yeah. that you just the music I, I get the animatic and then i have like six months before we have locked colors so i have for each episode i could spend you know if we're doing 10 episodes i could i could spend you know two three weeks on each episode easy and, and i i did i did actually have a question on that because uh, you i read uh, your interview with sync blog that uh, you, you did back in in august um, yeah. and, and you and you mentioned this the same thing uh, with animation compared to live action taking so much uh, it gives you so much more time to score uh, than yeah. than live action does uh, yeah you'd think my music would be better right <laughs> no. well that, that's 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 the que- that's the question because you say like the animation because it gives you so much time that it, it gives you time to second guess yourself yeah absolutely so I mean how do you how do as an artist as a musician how do you how do you counteract that do you not uh, <laughs> you suck it up s- <laughs> so when I, uh, when I was in high school, I had a literature teacher or, she, you know, a writing teacher who always used to say, there comes a time when you have to bless it and call it good. And I kind of, I try to live by that. Like I could just sit there and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak, and then I would never get anything done. And so at some point, like, I just, I'm mean, like, okay, this is good. I'm going to move on. You know, if it's bad, I won't say that. Right. Like <laughs> I'm not going to call something good. That's bad. But, you know, what's the other phrase? Uh, Good is the enemy or perfect is the enemy of good or whatever. The more you think about trying to spend time perfecting something, the less likely you are to actually end up with something. Like, yeah, end up with anything, really. Yeah. Yeah. Dan talks about this a lot, too, when he talks about, like, how to get into writing and how to be a better TV writer. And Dan doesn't always practice what he preaches on this, but... (laughs) The idea that like, yes, you iterate to a point, you go back and you redo to a point, but like you have to, at some point just be like, okay, this is as the, the marginal returns I'm going to get from working on this again are so small that I might as well just like call it good at this point. And and Dan's, he's also said the alternate, which I think can relate to live action, which is working kind of under the gun and under pressure so I wanted to ask also yeah. that the higher tempo of live action, do you find that your, your quality suffers or because it, it forces you to, to bless it and call it good earlier? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, so the way I sort of schedule myself with Rick and Morty is I really just don't give myself that much time to do stuff, you know? So I, once I'm done with a queue or once I think a queue is good enough, like I don't revisit it until it's ready to, to be mixed. So for, I would say that my workflow is very similar for live action and, and animation. It's just that for animation, once I'm done, it sits on the shelf for a while. 
Whereas with live action, it goes, it goes, it goes. Like I did, um, I did a show with, uh, on YouTube red called good game starring the game grumps. If you guys know who they are, the show flew under the radar a little bit cause it was on YouTube red, but, um, it's pretty good. Actually, Harmon, Dan Harmon produced it and he's, he's in one of the episodes. Um, but that was live action. And that one was one where I was like writing cues, I think two or three days before we mixed and <laughs> put it out the door. So it's pretty insanely fast. And, uh, you know, uh, I would say like, I did a lot of work in a short amount of time, but once I was done with the cue, like it was done and I moved on, hmm. which is similar to what I do with Rick and Morty. It's just, they sit on the shelf, like I said. So, so I would say, you know, my, my workflow doesn't change too much. Um, another cliche that I heard from a coworker a while back was if you wait to the last minute, it only takes a minute to do which I also <laughs> s- sometimes live by as well. I, that, I'm, I'm putting that on my board, my whiteboard at work tomorrow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you talked about being in advertising and, and working on uh, some of those, those mm-hmm. jingles. Did, do you think that prepared you for more of this kind of rapid paced? Definitely prepared me for dead, like very quick deadlines. I mean, we used to get ads. We used to get requests for uh, demos on an ad where they would say like, can we get, can we hear stuff in three hours? Like, and that's, we're making like record quality songs in three hours. Like it's, that's very rare, but it did happen. So yeah, the turnaround was very fast on ads. I mean, you're writing 30 second pieces of music. So, you know, you can't spend too much time. Uh, and then the other thing that really, I would say that ads helped working on ads helped me for, especially for Rick and Morty is, a wide variety of genres like i just did i did it all when i was doing ads i i barely ever listened to like say jazz or something growing up but when i was working on ads at emoto i was like sometimes i would have to write a jazz tune <laughs> it just is like there's no way around it so <laughs> y- you learn to f- either fake it as best as you can or or you know you're not you're not you're not gonna succeed so after you fake it l- enough you actually can do it that- the, the life of a podcaster also. Right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what, was there ever a, a song that you were given or that you were asked to work on for Rick and Morty that, that posed a particular challenge? Like they, they're maybe looking for a specific genre or doing something a little bit different that, that, was, that stood out as, as being more of a challenge for you? Um, so the one cue that always comes to mind, it's not really a song, but in terms of like taking the longest to nail down was in the pilot, uh, the scene where Morty is in like the numbers, he's like dreaming in class and you know, Jessica is there and the background music for that. I think I did like five or six different takes on it. And it was always just like saying too much. I think I always had like a rhythm or a beat. And eventually I think what we ended up with doesn't have much of a beat to it. Some of y'all get dumb. Some of y'all ain't gonna see three o'clock. Hi, Morty. Whoa. Hi, Jessica. Can I show these to you? Wow. They're both great. Thank you. You know what I named these? My little Mortys. Uh, that's flattering and a little weird. Do you know what I want you to do with them? Rename them? Squeeze them. Manhandle them. Give them the business. See if you can shuffle them. I mean, really get in there and knock them around. No wrong answers. Wow, well, 
Okay, Jessica, let's give this a shot. Oh, Morty, what are you doing to me? Uh, I I'm just doing my best. Morty, what are you doing? So that one was a bit tricky. Um, now I know, like, that was, you know, very early on. I hadn't worked with Dan that much. So now I know... I know how to parse Dan's notes a little more. And when I think if I had to do that again, I would have gotten it quicker now. But another thing where I remember having to at least ask what the hell is this was the script just said, or the, the show itself just said, you know, uh, Davin turns on African dream pop, you know? And it's like, <laughs> what is African dream pop? You know, like it was invented for the show. So I, I like, I have to create, a whole genre <laughs> in one song. And um, that was a little daunting. Certainly. I, I think I picked Dan's brain a little about that, but <laughs> I, I, and for, for African dream pop, how for like that song specifically, how did you, how did you start? How did your process start? Like with a, with like a MIDI keyboard in front of you and just like, well, yeah, every pro, every every cue starts with a MIDI keyboard in front of me. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I think the first thing I did for that was I was like, okay, I'm gonna just try to nail down the African part first, right? Yeah. So I pulled up a lot of like I have a bunch of recordings of African percussion, um, different, and I I think I pulled from like all over Africa. So like if you listen to it, there's like if you're like a real African music nerd you'll notice like there's stuff from you know south africa there's stuff from east and west africa like there's styles of playing that don't ever go together in africa <laughs> because they're if africa's gigantic yeah. right like right. it's yeah. like you know west african music and east african music is like at its core as different as like you know celtic music is to bluegrass right like they definitely <laughs> okay. have influenced each other but like they are, they are definitely noticeably different. Yeah. So I just kind of threw it all together. I was like, okay, let's just make it weird. Right. Like, first of all, it's a joke that he's playing African dream pop. So <laughs> the music should not take itself too seriously. And then I also had these live, like these libraries of African singers that I had just like little clips of. Right. And I started putting them in and I didn't, like they actually were like singing too earnestly or something. So I put auto tune on them and put them in a different key. And it, <laughs> it actually makes them sound like just poppier and lighter. Yeah. So I think that worked out really well. And then I started adding like beats and stuff that are like more pop oriented keyboards and, and all the sounds that all the trappings of pop music <laughs> and especially dream pop, which is like real synthy and washy. And um, I, I wanted to ask about recurring motifs uh, as uh, mm -hmm. you, I infer, I feel that one of the main ones uh, by, uh, Blonde redhead for the damaged coda. That's you know yep. that's evil Morty's kind of re yep. recurring motif. Do do you have any recurring uh, instruments or sound effects or any motifs for the characters in the show that are kind of maybe not super noticeable? Hmm. So that's that's called like Peter and the Wolfing when you you have like an instrument or a motif for each character. 
I personally play the same music when Darth Vader. Comes exactly. All that, all yeah. That, kind of stuff. yeah. Uh, that, I mean, it works for something like star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. I set out when I initially set out on the show, I kind of avoided that. I think sometimes that can be kind of cheesy, mm-hmm. right? Like you definitely have to be very careful. Um, I kind of did it in the documentary I did about Dan, actually, like there's a theme for Dan and a theme for Spencer, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, I didn't really do it for Rick and Morty mainly because I just didn't want to draw that much attention to the music when it was playing in the background. So like when Rick and Morty are on an adventure and they're talking, like, I don't really want it to, I don't want you to notice it. I want the music to tell the story and aid the story, but I don't want people to be like, Oh, oh, the music, you know, that's just my way of doing it. Um, Yeah. uh, But for for the damaged coda, uh, as an example, it was, you know, used between season one and then again in season three. Right. So there was, there was that, that, that distance to kind of build that suspense. And only when evil Morty's revealed president Morty, then that music plays again. Yeah. I mean, it's so effective, right? Like, to they so i think like they use that tune because justin loves that song um and it does like it the mood of it is perfect for that moment in season one and it's unexpected too right you kind of don't expect the show to take that kind of a turn musically uh and so setting it up it's it becomes really iconic in that first season episode because a it's unexpected at the time and b the tune is great and c like the mood of it is just so moody it's so dramatic yeah. you know it's almost emotional but not in like a sappy way so it really worked for that and i remember the first time i saw the animatic with that song on it i was like holy shit we gotta get this <laughs> yeah. uh and then it was at that point it becomes a no-brainer to use it again when you bring back that character right like how do you i think the question for the writers then becomes like how do you bring back evil morty in a way where using that song the moment he shows up is really effective, right? You can't just have him walk into a scene like a sitcom and have that music start playing, like, or 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 like like a wrestling match, like, oh, I hear Evil Morty's music, he's coming out, there he comes. You know, like, you can't do it so cheesy. Like, it has to be the mood has to be the mood again, right? Uh, the uh, the only other one I think of is maybe maybe Jerry's Jerry's human music song. And now here's human music. Yeah, I did bring that back. Yeah, um, I just uh, just for fun, I did like in the Jerry Daycare episode. He the the there's like uh, elevator music kind of in the lobby of Jerry Daycare that I used human music as like the sort of basis of. Uh, so that's perfect. You you can hear that. It's pretty far in the back mix wise, which is good. That's the point. But um, yeah, there's also kind of a thing I do. I, I don't really do, there's a style that I use for moments that are, uh, heavy and emotional, um, that I have done several different tracks for, but they all kind of are in the same vein. And the two parts that really stick out for me are, um, when Jerry and doofus Rick are like saying goodbye, there's a piece <laughs> of music playing there that is like, it's really earnest and dramatic. It's like a little dramatic piano it's kind of like the blonde redhead thing actually but maybe not as menacing Hmm. 
And then when Rick is reading Unity's letter in season two, I have a similar kind of a vibe for that one. That's got like a piano thing. And then uh, I did sort of, I sort of used that style to create the entire sound of the show for uh, the Citadel's episode, the Tales from the Citadel. Yeah, yeah. So that that episode has a totally different score than any other episode in the show. It's very minimal, very piano driven, totally different than like, say, your average adventure episode where I go big and orchestral and, you know, menacing and dark. Uh, yeah, the Citadel episode, totally different score. But that's that's such a standout episode. And yeah. it, it's it sets apart from the rest of the, the series in, in such a unique way that it, like doing something completely different with the score, I think just elevates that yeah. that feeling of, of doing something that isn't a normal Rick and Morty. It, yeah, I mean, there is such a thing. Yeah, there's a melancholiness to the entire episode, you know, like everybody's kind of just going through their going through life, right? Like there's these little stories about the different Ricks and Mortys and they're yeah. just kind of going through life in a way. And so I wanted the music to capture that and really play to that melancholy without being too in your face. Uh, two, uh, two things on that, you know, it opens up with in the city, you know, Joe Walsh. Yeah. Uh, yep. And, and you have, you have the tales from the Citadel uh, track and that you can, that folks can go to your SoundCloud to listen to, yeah, which is, yeah. which is very, it's, it's, it's very in the city ish. Yeah. Yeah. It's got kind of a rock, but I think it's similar tempo. Yeah, in the city was on the animatic. Uh, they weren't always sure they could afford it. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. uh, I tried to beat the champ. I couldn't beat the champ. Gotcha. Um, Come on, Joe. I was never going to beat Joe Walsh. Uh, so I tried to do something that, in any case, I wrote that first, and then I used that as the basis for the rest of the cues in the episode. Yeah. So a lot of the melody elements and harmonic elements in the rest of the episode are based on that that title I did that got replaced by Joe Walsh. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, yeah. the, the other, the other thing I wanted to say was, uh, tales from the Citadel is to me kind of Chinatown ish. Uh, oh, totally. Uh, and, and you actually, yeah. you've said before that one of your greatest influences for the show is, is Jerry Goldsmith, who yep. of course scored, uh, yeah. scored Chinatown originally. And he also did twilight zone. He's, he's just done a, a ton of stuff. Uh, what, what is about Jerry Goldsmith's work that inspires you so much? And, and in, in Rick and Morty, where are some of these kind of influences that we can see uh, Goldsmith's work? Yeah, I would say his Planet of the Apes score is probably one of my biggest influences. He, his, I mean, he's not the first to do this, but he's definitely one of the first people to really make avant-garde classical music yes. mainstream film composing. And his techniques, he used a lot of crazy recording techniques on the Planet of the Apes stuff. There's really cool, like, these old effects boxes that, you know, people weren't really using in film yet then. Like, he was putting flutes through delays and cool stuff. And he was just really doing really inventive shit for a movie that is, like, you know, a classic now. Yeah. And at the time, yeah. kind of, as far as I know, kind of pooped the bed. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but 
like his score for that is just incredible. And so there's a lot, I mean, I, whenever I get stuck on Rick and Morty and I'm like, I don't know what to do for this scene or I, I, you know, I'm just doing another action cue and it just sounds the same as everything else. Like, how can I, you know, how can I get inspired? I'll, I'll listen to that Planet of the Apes score. And I will say like in terms of Chinatown, I purposefully did not listen to that for Tales from the Citadel because I didn't want it to be so on the nose. Yeah. You know, if we did a Planet of the Apes episode of Rick and Morty, you know, I would, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to do Planet of the Apes score. That's just like too much. You'd, you'd go, you know? you'd go listen to The Omen with a lot of that, right? The, the, sure, the yeah. choral stuff. <laughs> yeah, I would find some other way to do. You know, and I wouldn't say that my score particularly sounds like the Planet of the Apes score, but there is sort of, I, I don't know, his just his stuff is just very inspiring. The way he his mind worked in a way that is just totally different. Than the than than the average film score. I mean, he's a, you know he's a legend. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what are, I, I throw this out there. Other than Planet of the Apes, or do you have any other favorite movie scores? Uh, <laughs> I always jo- I always jokingly say my favorite movie score is No Country for Old Men because it literally has like thirty seconds of a drone <laughs> and that's it. Um, oh, I, d- I was thinking uh, There Will Be Blood, which is Johnny. No, Greenwood. that score is fucking amazing. Yes. Um, and it's like, yeah, Johnny Greenwood, amazing. Uh, yeah, so uh, everyone loves this, but I love the I love the Solaris score, the Clint Mansell Solaris mm-hmm. score. Um, it's it's so overused now as like a reference point in scoring, <laughs> but it's incredible. The Lord of the Rings score, huge influence for me on Harmon Quest. Uh, just. Uh, literally the gold standard of fantasy scoring now like you literally can't do a fantasy movie without being influenced by that score now i feel like yeah uh do with 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 film score and i know i'm I'm kind of jumping back and forth here but you know you you studied music you you got your degree with a Mm -hmm. uh, emphasis on composition did you did you take any kind of electives or uh, in film composition, uh, to, to see how sound, uh, music design fits into, to film TV. I did not. My college music program, you know, God bless them. They're much better now. They weren't that good when I went there. I didn't, I went to the college, I went to that college because it was super liberal and it was in my backyard. (laughs) Um, I didn't think about, oh, I should go somewhere with a good music program. I just was like, I want to go to a good liberal arts college and I want the students to be like really fucking liberal. <laughs> and it was great for that. Um, and, you know, the music department was really good for me personally because at the time I wasn't like, I wouldn't have thrived at a high stakes music school where you got to practice all the time. Like I needed to be able to go there and just have my own thing and do my own thing and McAllister college where I went in St. Paul definitely allowed me to, to just have the freedom to kind of explore what I wanted to do with music on my own. Was it a school where they're like, good, you know what an A looks like, uh, on a, on a sheet of music? No, it was, no, it was definitely <laughs> like a real, like I, I got a real music education, but you know, I took an electronic music class that was self-graded, for example. Uh. Um, you know, some of the electives were, you know, more for fun than anything, but you know, the theory classes were really, really hard. Uh, I had a really good professor in my theory classes and 
pushed me really hard in terms of that. But it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of emphasis on you need to play perfectly and you need to do recitals every other week and, you know, log like a real music school will burn you out fast if you're not into it. Yeah, I mean, I can. I'll, I'll be honest. When when I graduated high school, I went to Glendale Community College, uh, and I wanted I wanted to to major in music, and mm-hmm. but but I I didn't I didn't study music as a kid. You know, I had a, I played guitar, I played bass, and I could yeah. I could do those things. Not trained in any way other than just reading uh, tabs, right? Uh, guitar tabs, right? And I got to I got to college. And I was just so kind of um, imposter syndrome or, or, or just, it, it, it was overpowering how, how more talented people were out there mm. doing it. And I, I thought, yeah. I can't, I, I can't compete with these guys. They're, they're, they know what they're doing with music. Mm. Um, so, you know, it did. Oh man. I feel like that every time I talk to another professional composer, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I totally can empathize with that for sure. Um, incidentally, my wife was a teacher at Glendale Community College. She taught ESL for a couple of years. Oh, awesome. And Dan Harmon went there. It was the inspiration for community. Oh. He went there for like one semester, one class or something. <laughs> you you, you um, hear that, everyone? I, I have a direct... You went to the same college, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally, totally know what you mean. Yeah, like uh, imposter syndrome, syndrome fuels me. Like I draw a lot of, a lot of, uh, sell, like I, I draw a lot of my energy to do be better and to do as well as I can, because I'm afraid I'm going to get found out. <laughs> um, and I need it, you know, like, like I need it to do my job, but I know that for other people, it's like, Oh, I, I just want to deal with this. So I, I totally get it. Like, it's not a fun feeling to feel like everyone else is doing it right and you're just faking it but that's like kind of how everyone feels <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know like i guarantee you all those people you thought were awesome were probably just thinking like oh god everyone else is so awesome here and i don't know what i'm doing uh yeah i'm i'm absolutely sure that's that that's what it is uh in and i think i i feel that the kind of power of of finding other creative folks and and mm-hmm. kind of grouping up Kind of, yeah, sh- to me helps alleviate that that sense of oh I'm not I'm not good enough because my my weaknesses are other folks' strength totally and, and so on yeah. and so forth yeah absolutely yeah you know uh, I'm I'm co-composing a new show uh, a DreamWorks show called it's based on the Boss Baby movie uh, it's called Boss Baby Back in Business it comes out I think in April on Netflix it's for kids but. I'm co-composing it and it's actually a really good example of how like two people, two composers together can do something that one composer could not. The, the, the direction that they wanted was 30 rock score meets Jay-Z. Oh, um, so like, All right. I can do the Jay-Z thing in my sleep. Like I did sound <laughs> for hip hop shows. I wrote beats for friends. Like I know hip hop pretty well, but the 30 rock thing is definitely not my strength. Like I'm not a jazz guy. However, my co-composer is like a serious jazz guy. Like he's got the chops. So together we can really do this show justice. And it's like one of the, one of the great things about this partnership that I'm learning is that 
that, yeah, like you don't have to do everything yourself. Like you can ask for help. And, uh, you know, both of us, neither of us could have done, at least in the beginning. Now, both of us could probably do the show because we know how it's done. But in the beginning, I don't think that either of us could really have done the show as well as we did together. And I, I, I did, that kind of leads to a, a question I had, which is, you know, collaborating with uh, your co-composer, you know. Yeah, in- I want to I say his name, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel weird just calling my co-composer. <laughs> his name's Ben Bromfield, amazing composer, young guy. Uh, this is his first show with his name in the credits, but he's done a ton of work with other composers. Amazing guy, amazing composer. Ben Bromfield. Yeah, yeah. Look for him. He's going to be more famous than me by a wide margin at some point. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't know. You'll always, you'll always be number one. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So you have you have Ben Bromfield, who you're you're co-composing the show with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I I did want to ask, you know, so asking for asking for help, and it le- mm-hmm. was leading to a question I wanted to ask was. Do do you prefer working alone generally when you're developing or, or writing music? Logistically, it is easier to just do do things on my own. Uh, I especially when I'm the final say in if the music is good enough or not. But uh, there is there is something really exciting about writing music with another person in the room. Mm. At Emoto, we used to do this all the time. Whenever we had like a spot where we needed to do like, we needed to submit like four different versions. Me and three of the other staff composers would all just like do our charts. Like we'd write our track, basically a sketch of all our tracks on our own. And then we would come together and like, I would play guitar on everyone's track and the other composer would play bass and we'd hire a drummer. And then, you know, we just would like all throw down together on each other's tracks in an effort to like, for one of us to win it. Yeah. Cause you know, like the company, it's better if the company wins it than, than it is if I win it. You know what I mean? At that point, because they pay my salary. So like, and that was like really exciting. I definitely missed that, that collaborative music, collaborative music is like one of the most purely, uh, purely like fun and exhilarating things that I've experienced in my life. Now, that being said, when you have a deadline, (laughs) it's a lot easier to just whip it out on your own in your own studio. Like I have my home studio uh, and I, you know, it's just like, I'll just shut the door and get it done. And that, so like, you know, it just depends. Like if you have time to experiment, man, there's nothing more fun than getting some musicians together and just throwing out ideas. Do you, do you, in the process of writing, if when you're shutting yourself in in the room or or uh, or, or however you do it, do you, when you're like coming up with a, an idea, I'll, I'll throw mm-hmm. I'll throw this out there. So, you know, I dabble in recording crappy stuff all the time, uh, and and so when I'm when I'm putting something together, I'll send it to Travis or I'll make my wife listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be like, is this okay? Does this sound all right? And then <laughs> they, they humor me and they're like, yeah, it's good. Whatever, man. I don't care. Uh, so, I mean, do, do you, do you do that? Or do you say, I'm going to get to like a, a 85, 90% solution with this song before I let anybody listen to it? Yeah. The danger with letting someone listen to something that is unfinished is that they don't have the imagination to imagine what it's like finished. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Now, that's not a danger when you're showing it to your wife because she's your wife, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. She loves you. Yeah. Uh, it is a danger when you're dealing with clients who are paying you um, because yes. as soon as they go, they might get worried that you're not, you're not going to get it, you know, if they hear a work in progress. They might not be able to imagine what the final product is going to be like based on what you're showing them. Now, some are, and some want to hear early works in progress, and that's great. Like, I worked with the director on the Harmontown movie documentary who was very much interested in hearing works in progress, and he had tons of good feedback based on them. So, you know, it just, you have to, you, you, I think it depends on what you're doing. But in, in your case, like, like what you're doing, yeah, I do show stuff to my wife, but I learned a while ago, actually, that um, I, if... If she has ideas and I don't use them, I both feel bad and she feels bad. So at this point, I kind of, I don't like, I will get her opinion on stuff if I'm stuck. Um, she's one of the first people I go to for sure. But you know, another thing is like going to another composer is really, really valuable because they're going to have a perspective you don't, and they're going to be able to speak to you in your language. You know, I always say composers give the best notes because they tell you like in bar 35, do a G sharp major instead of a, you know, E flat minor. Like they'll give you really specific notes because they can speak your language. They know specifically what you're talking about. Right. So in a lot of ways that can be more useful. However, you know, maybe, maybe your wife will just say like, I don't know, it's too dark, which is a, an opinion that another composer isn't going to give you. Yeah, because it's so general, but that can be a really useful opinion. I, I feel like you were there for that discussion with my, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, I've had my own, you know, I'm adjusting my mic. Sorry, you, you can cut these out. Uh, it's no, it's cool. That's that's our duck break. It sounds like a, it sounds like a duck. We have, we have a duck break every episode now. Let's start. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a pet duck here. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, so on, on Rick and Morty, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we didn't want necessarily, we, ne we didn't want, or maybe we just didn't ask it right away uh, about you coming up with a theme song. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we know that the Doctor Who is, is a, a major inspiration for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, can can you just can you just talk to us about the kind of inception and creation of these Sure, games? yeah. So, like I said earlier, it was for a show called Dog World, and the original conceit of that show was that Justin was going to have like a character narrate sort of the basic premise of the show mm. in the in during the theme song. Yeah. So that's why the song has this like big long ramp up where you don't hear a melody. Um, you know, it's like this big long building thing is because Justin was going to be like my name is Michael Jenkins and I'm, you know, th my brother and I were trapped in a dog world. Like he was going to do a thing during that, right? Like explaining the premise of the show. So, so when we did the dog world thing, the theme song was, it it's not exactly like what it is for Rick and Morty because I, I, I think I lengthened it for Rick and Morty maybe, but, um, that what you hear on Rick and Morty is very similar to what was on the dog world pitch. And Justin was talking over it in the beginning and then it kicks in with the melody and kind of has, and he, one of the things that he said to me was like, he, he's like, I really, I really like Dr. Who. I really like Farscape. 
in terms of like what the I want the theme to be because both like dog world was about these kids that get transported to another alternate dimension where dogs are like humans and humans are pets to these dogs. <laughs> um, actually the, the snuffles, the snuffles episode like a, of Rick and Morty, 12, 15 minute board driven show. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a reference to dog great. world. That joke is <laughs> yeah. a totally a reference to dog world. Um, I think Justin was still kind of holding on to hope that that show would sell, but um, <laughs> I don't know in any case. Uh, yeah. So, that theme, you know, obviously I definitely took the Doctor Who thing and ran with it. I wanted it to have super cinematic. Like we talked about, like Justin was like, I want it to feel so big, so cinematic. And I know that Justin likes, uh, he doesn't know this, but he really likes tritones in music, which is um, like a flat, it's hard to explain without getting super geeky, but <laughs> it is it's an interval. It's a distance between two notes that gives you a really specific kind of a vibe. The Simpsons has it in their theme song. Hmm. The Simpsons. It resolves up to the five, right? Then you get a little music theory lesson. Um, it's also <laughs> like the classic example is in West Side Story. Maria. Huh. I just met a girl named Maria. You know, he's like, he's riding that tritone up to the fifth, resolving it up to the fifth. So I knew Justin from other stuff I'd done that Justin is like, he responds to the tritone. So I was trying to mess around with it. And I don't think I actually used it specifically. I don't do a tritone in the Rick and Morty theme, but I wanted to have something that had that kind of sort of a little off vibe to it. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I messed around with all these synths and I have like all these software synths that I use to, to get these sounds. But like when I found that theremin E kind of sound, yeah. And I put this like, cool delay on it and it was just like oh this is really cutting above the orchestra like you can really hear it above the orchestra and so i ran with that um and you know like i also knew i wanted it to have this steady build and just like keep building 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 and then it ends Wait, at the peak yeah you yeah. know uh, i i i gotta say real quick the theremin sound is one of my, I don't know if it's my affinity for old school sci-fi. I just, yeah. I just love that theremin. And if anybody wants to give me one for free, I would, I would. Yeah. I really <laughs> oh man. I just saw this professional theremin player. There might be stuff on YouTube, Carolina Ike. Um, she is an incredible theremin player. Like you can't even believe how good she is. Uh, and she's way into it too. Like, she has this piece that she composed called the dragon where she like used place the theremin and makes her hands look like dragon heads what? in the theremin space. And they're like really down low, like, <laughs> oh, like it's so cool. She's like turned into an art form. That's so, and that's if pitching. I ever get to perform the theme song live in some venue, she's going to be first on the list of who, what musicians <laughs> I call. Cause she's so badass. Really incredible. If you're into theremin, Carolina with a C and then E Y C K is her last name. I will check that out as soon as I'm done. Uh, She's incredible, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I guess w one one thing I was wondering is, is there, are there any other like artists that uh, you enjoy like collaborating with directly, or I mean, other than maybe uh, Jermaine for <laughs> uh, Moon Man? Like, He's is, the best, is there anybody man. else for the, for the show that that you've really enjoyed like working with or gotten an opportunity to to kind of experiment uh, musically with? Um, let me think. So I don't get to, I don't get to like record the vocalists myself very often. I was there for the Jermaine record, but, uh, I was not there say for when Tara Strong did the summer in tinkles song uh. <laughs> in, in, uh, in my favorite episode, um, total recall. Yes. So like I will often mock them up with my own voice and then the, the voice talent will be recorded either at Starburns or somewhere else. Hmm. Uh, we recorded Jermaine over the phone, basically. He was in New Zealand at the time. Oh, wow. And okay. they re recorded all his lines for the show, and they I think they had booked an hour with them, with him, and I didn't know this, but they used 40 minutes like recording his lines for the show, and then they're like, all right, Elder, you got 20 minutes to do <laughs> this vocals for the song. And I was like, man, I, I, he's singing like background vocals and stuff on this. Like, I need like an hour, but I just like, all right, we're doing this. Let's do it. And uh, luckily, the dude is like a ridiculously professional and ridiculously talented. Like, I think what you hear on there is his first take. And he, wow. he yeah. like jokingly did the delay on the space, 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 <laughs> right? Like that, he was just doing a bit in and i think he thought i would cut it off and just like put my own delay on it no. but i was like no way man this is so funny stars like diamonds in your eyes the ground can be space 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 with feet marching towards a peaceful sky I don't know what he thought. I, I don't want to attribute thoughts to him that aren't his own, but um, he's also just a rad dude. Like after the song came out and people were going nuts over it, he messaged me on Twitter and was like, Hey man, great song. I think people are going to request it at shows. And I was like, Oh, Jermaine, <laughs> you know, I was totally fanboying out. He's an awesome dude though. Like really, really cool guy. Uh. Um, and he it, like whenever anyone tweets at him about the song or tweets him a cover of the song, he'll like retweet it to me, which is like totally doesn't have to do that, but so so cool. Yeah, man, that that's that's great. I, I just fly the Concords was something that just uh, for me just appeared out of nowhere. Oh yeah, like this is I think for a lot of people, man, it was like who are these guys? It, it's just just it's amazing music, and and both of them are insanely talented. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, Oscar Oscar winners. Muppets. Yeah, or, yeah, that's yeah. right. Or Brett. Yeah. Oh man, there's justice in this world. Uh, <laughs> uh, um. I want to. I want to. I want to ask, ask a few more questions, and then I swear I'm going to let you go. Uh, no, man. I'm. I'm. I got nothing else to do. So. Our, okay. Well, let's do three hours. This is. This Think is. We can. We can. Let's. We're, we're at an hour. We exactly. got two more hours left, this, guys. This question <laughs> is the is an hour question. Uh, <laughs> All right, uh, I'll filibuster for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get the phone book out. Uh, 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 I, I I have one I have one more question, and and Travis will lead us out. Uh, it's so one of the things you say in, in the Sync blog uh, mm -hmm. the interview is advice for uh, people who want to be composers, and it's yeah. uh, make make friends with people who are creators, invest in sampling sample libraries. Move to a major mm -hmm. hub like Los Angeles, uh, London, yep. or New York, 
and write lots of music. Um, so what I wanted to ask was, cause a lot of people like I'm from LA originally. Um, yeah, but I, I moved away. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be famous. I don't need to do any of this. Sure. Show. Uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, well, meanwhile, and then we started, a then podcast. I started a podcast yeah. to talk to people a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so I'm now not near a major city and because of my job, sure. I, I can't move back. What, what kind of advice would you give to aspiring creatives in, in whatever form music writing to kind of make a name for themselves to, or get discovered if they can't necessarily move back to a, a major note? Oh man, that's tough. Um, uh, I don't want to pretend like I know that's the thing. Like I, I have ideas, but like, I, I don't have experience with that. Yeah. So it's hard for me to give you like a really good answer because I, I'd be a little bit guessing, but I will say this, like I've been re I, I, some com other composers have reached out to me that are from other States and, you know, I've become friends with a couple people who wanted, you know, early on when I, when Rick and Morty was just like, not quite as popular, I had more time to like respond to people who emailed me, Yeah, but I met people and sort of, you know, maybe if their stuff is really good, I've recommended them for jobs that I couldn't work on or whatever. But I think, you know, luckily due to the internet now, you can, you can like introduce yourself to people. Uh, you gotta be cool about it though. Like it's really a fine line. Like don't do a form letter. Don't BCC a bunch of composers. <laughs> like, um, you know, they, they, like, they don't want to go to your website to listen to your stuff. Like I'll listen to people's stuff. I probably do it more than most composers do. I have to imagine. But I, uh, for me, it's kind of like, oh, I might find the diamond in the rough, right? Yeah. And I have found a couple of people who are very good. I would say like, if there's a way for you to find a connection with someone that isn't just, I need something from you or I want something from you mm -hmm. that also isn't just a thinly veiled version of, I want something from you. Right. Like, for example, you heard me on this podcast. I I'm open to people emailing me, but if you heard me on this podcast talking about Ashron's call and you were like, Oh, I played that game once I'm going to email him about that. And maybe then we'll become friends and I can, he can hook me up with a job. Right. <laughs> like I'm probably going to see through that. So like, one thing I, I always recommend, and it's so dumb, but um, there's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's literally over 100 years old. Uh, and I'm not using literally in an exaggerative sense. I think it was written in like 1904. Uh, fantastic book. I wish I had read it when I was in junior high because it changed my life, changed my ability to talk to people, to interact with people, to understand what people are looking for in a conversation with another person. They're not looking to hear about you. They're looking to, to talk about themselves. <laughs> you know, like, um, I just spent, and I, this is just coming from someone who just spent an hour and 20 minutes talking <laughs> about themselves on a podcast. But like the more you can, like, you don't want to grill them and be like, well, what about this? It's not an interview when you, when you meet someone new, right? Right. Like that getting someone to talk about themselves by interviewing them is annoying just act like a normal person around them. People who are people who do this stuff for a living, they're not like gods, you know, like you guys talk to Ryan Ridley. He's a normal guy. He's an awesome, awesome, normal guy. Like, and if you just act like a normal person, like a lot of times that's enough to get someone to like, want to talk to you, but you know, easier said it's good than advice. done, right? It's easier said than done. That's 
X, X, yeah. Yeah. Like it's really, really, really important in, in, in the survivor world It's called social game, right? Yeah. Like your ability to interact with people and, and, you know, uh, engender trust from people like trust is so important. Uh, if you're providing a service, which is what a composer is doing, people want to trust you. And the more you can just be the kind of person who pe- people like to trust, the more successful you're going to be. Uh, so Ryan, we've covered a, a gambit of issues here or, or topics, but I, I want, I want to say thank you uh, for, for, for joining us. And is there, is there a good place that if people want to kind of follow uh, other projects that you're working on or, or, you know, uh, kind of where's, where's a good place where people can keep up with, with whatever new things that you have going on so I think, outside of Rick and Morty? Yeah, I think Twitter probably, I, I mean, my website, I try to keep it up to date, but like, I don't know, Twitter seems fun. People can tweet at me and stuff. So like the, if you want to like, you know, if you want to tweet, if you want to interact with me or see what I'm, what I'm thinking or doing, like Twitter's probably the best right now. Um, I, I haven't, I need to update my SoundCloud. It's been too long. Um, I'm hoping at some point soon, there'll be some way for people to get their hands on more of the music from the show right now. It's kind of hard to find a lot of stuff, uh, just due to just business reasons. Like Mm. I, I can't, you know, I can't just put it up on my SoundCloud or whatever. So, um, but hopefully that's going to change soon. Uh, I don't know any details yet, but, um, I'm still looking into that. And in the meantime, yeah, just my Twitter and stuff, I guess. All right. And, and then you and Ben Bromfield with boss baby back in business. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Bromfield. Perfect call for that. Right. So many bees. Yeah. (laughs) April something. Um, it's for, it's for kids, but I got to say like, it's like, uh, one of my friends, JD Riznar was the creator of yacht, one of the creators of yacht rock. And he was a writer on boss baby. And, uh, the writing staff for that show is very good, like surprisingly good for a kid show. And it shows like, there's some amazing jokes. You got to wade through a bunch of kids stuff to get to it, but, um, it's a pretty, it's pretty good. And if, if like, I found that like 10% of people are skeeved out by this talking baby. Uh, but if you're in the 90% who, uh, I think it's fun. I do recommend the show, especially if you have kids. It'll be fun. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No, no, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it, it was, was way fun. It was our pleasure. Yeah, this and uh, yeah, keep up, keep up all the awesome work, and we'll look forward to season four yeah. whenever and, that does happen. And as, and as yeah. promised, we're not fishing for it. <laughs> no, <laughs> not no, no. Fishing. And just listen, uh, stating a fact. I there's probably I just realized there's probably people thinking like, oh, April first is coming up. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> Let me just tell you that much. You got your sauce. Be happy. <laughs> Thanks again, man. Appreciate you. Yep. What a guy. I want what a to, guy. I want to, first of all, thank you so much to him again for, for talking to us. That was, that was really awesome. And, and I, I totally had, I had a, a crush the entire time, um, but uh, I think you still have a crush. Right? Y- yeah, I, I do. I'm pretty much like his his own, maybe not his only group. He's probably he should have more groupies if he's <laughs> like I shouldn't be his only one. Anyway, call call to action, Unity. Let's get Ryan Elder more groupies. All right. <laughs> um, for our for our patrons who are watching the video, I you are going to get a special like. <laughs> 
30 or 20 to 30 extra minute treat where we talk about uh his love of video games a little bit more in detail and uh, yes in in like nerdy amazing detail we get we get pretty nerdy and travis like we got we gotta cut that and i was like no it'll be fine and then i listened to it during editing like nope yeah we gotta we gotta we gotta cut that uh, uh yeah so i'll i will keep that in the video version uh just as another uh, draw for you folks to come support the show on patreon <laughs> yeah so uh again you know hit hit him up uh he is on he's on tw- twitter he's on soundcloud you can you, you can read his uh Sur- survivor podcast too if if you want but ryan elder music on twitter all right uh we still have a couple of segments that we that we need to hash out here on this episode so uh let's let's get right into it it's time for this week's blood dome battle What a matchup we've got this week. <laughs> what, what are you are you I'm just trying new things, Brandon. You doing like a what if, what a, if I a Vin Scully? <laughs> uh, I don't Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh rest in rest in peace, Vin Scully. Uh we should just do terrible impressions of famous sports commentators <laughs> for Blood Dome Battle League from here on out. Yeah, definitely. Uh so this this week we had Cousin Nikki versus Pencil Vester. Uh and but yeah, before we get into that, there the one shout out I we had on uh Twitter was from Scooty Puff Senior. A good old Futurama reference there. Uh that, you know, he had a good idea for Blood Dome Battle League. Morty Combat. And I, why mm. why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we think of that? Morty Combat. Fight. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, your next music assignment has just reared its <laughs> ugly head, Brandon. Oh god. Um so so Travis, before we get into the actual results, why don't do you why don't you read us the tale that you've t- written down? Oh. Of All Cousin right. Nikki versus uh, Pencil Vester. So here we go. For 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 those of you maybe unaware with Cousin Nikki and uh, Pensylvester, uh, it, well, it was an afternoon like so many others across Earth Dimension C-145. The Smith family was on lockdown after Grandpa Rick had discovered a strain of alien parasites that somehow infected their home. Nearly every time you turned around, a new friend or family member seemed to appear, complete with detailed memories of the great times spent with the Smith tribe. Cousin Nicky was one of these family members, uh, but he knew who he really was. There was no doubt deep down that he was a parasite. He needed this family to believe that he was real for his sake and for the sake of his fellow parasites. Mm -hmm. Cousin Nicky had to convince the smartest person in the galaxy, Rick Sanchez, that he and the other parasites were real. There was just one problem, Brandon. What was it? One. Uh, the moment Rick realized that there were parasites in the house, uh, he did a swift head count, uh, of the people that he knew were real. And he wrote the number six on a sheet of paper and then set to work trying to determine who was and who was not a parasite. Oh, there uh, it is. But, but that was, but that was hours ago. And since then, dozens of new parasites had spawned. And as Rick grew closer to discovering who the parasites were, the fear of being found out began to set in. 
the parasite a parasite will do just about anything to survive through that and as rick emerged from the garage with a sci-fi weapon of unknown origin the parasite's panic meant it was every last parasite for itself cousin nikki knew it was time to act if he could only get to that paper with a six on it he might be able to alter it amidst all this commotion he started across the living room as parasites dodged from Rick and now also Morty. He cringed as desperate parasites attacked each other in an attempt to prove that they were real and on Rick's side. Oh God. Hey, I'm walking here! <laughs> Cousin Nikki shouted as two wrestling parasites fell in front of him, altering his path to the paper. Finally, Cousin Nikki found himself within arm's reach of the paper. He knew that even adding a one before the six would mean life for ten of the perishing brethren. Cousin Nicky spotted a pencil on the ground and reached down to grab it. Just before he could pick it up, the pencil shot from the ground and drove its sharpened tip deep into Cousin Nicky's eye. Pencil Vester laughed out a bold, nice try pulling a fast one on me, (laughs) as the image of Cousin Nicky melted away to reveal the wrinkled remains of a parasite. Only a faint, I'm walking here, (laughs) could be heard. as the memory of Cousin Nicky faded away. As for Pennsylvester, he bolted away towards a nearby backpack where he slipped into a front pocket amidst the other pencils and markers. He thought to himself, uh, I'm sure a parasite like me could do wonderful things at Harry Herbson High School. Good, good. All right. And so that- so he, he does, he, when he thinks to himself, he doesn't do it like, a, he doesn't have a funny voice. Like He doesn't have a funny voice. His inner monologue is deep and, and methodical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I so I think that you can tell from that wonderful story. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for that wonderful story. Woo! Applause. That pencil vester wins this battle over there on Facebook, thirty-four to sixty-six percent. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, uh, pencil vester wins over on Twitter, twenty-one to seventy-nine. Pencil vester takes it again. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's the man. You know, and when when we did this, or is the parasite? <laughs> when we when we did this, I thought I thought for sure it was going to be a, a far closer uh, blood dome battle, and and I was I was shocked. I, I I think I'm like I'm every week. I'm like let's let's have a battle. Let's let's make it a battle where people are get into a battle with each other to to see like oh no no you're wrong you're wrong. But for the most part, everyone's like, let's let's make it a battle where people get into a battle. It's a battle. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do a a a blood dome battle battle league battle dome. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's it's. I would like to see it be close. I I I don't want it to be one sided every week. And I think the fact that both of these characters were parasites for me, it was a toss up. I mean, a lot of the times the the Blood Dome Battle League is like a popularity contest, and some of the more popular characters tend to get the votes. Um, and and so and so maybe that means Pennsylvester's more uh, more of a fan favorite than Cousin Nikki. Sorry, uh, Ryan Ridley. Uh, but you know, it's I I, I really thought it could have gone either way. People, if people were really into Cousin Nikki, maybe they thought uh, that that he could have just broken that pencil between his fingers or something like that. I don't, I don't know. We, it could have, it could have gone either way with this one, uh, but definitely uh, an overwhelming uh, win for Pencil Vester. Yes. In this case. Yes. 
So with all that in mind, having said that we want an even matchup, here is another one that I will be sh- that I hope will be closer, but probably will not be because because uh, <laughs> I'm I'm just wrong. Like if there's a if there's a a poll about whether I'm going to be wrong about the results, <laughs> I'll probably be right about losing the poll. Okay, sure. next week, next episode, Principal Vagina versus no relation, Mister Goldenfold, the the battle of the educators here <laughs> next time on the Blood Dome Battle League. Blah. We don't need to listen to the whole thing, but uh. yeah, no, no, that's 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 enough. Uh, we have time for just one more short segment here, uh, and that's listener suggestions and short outs. Thanks again to everybody who listens, watches, supports the show, and in, in your various ways. Uh, and and some of you send us some correspondence throughout the week, be that on Discord, Twitter, Facebook emails and uh and then we get we get a get a review or two brandon what what how are how are the reviews looking oh yeah we we have we have a couple more on on itunes here first up rng thoughts uh that's you know that's that's a nerd thing you wouldn't you would know travis you're not you're not a nerd but the first one no is it says how unofficial are they at this point really which i appreciate that thank you Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I, I'm not gonna do it. I downloaded iTunes to leave this rating. I hope you know my pain. Brandon and Travis <laughs> and Trandon are just these guys, you know. Whether you just found out about Rick and Morty or have been watching since season one, these guys provide a laid back and entertaining experience for all fan levels. They're great during the seasons for Easter eggs, speculation, and general hype affirmation. But their true power lies in their off season, providing a platform for conversation about Rick and Morty during the long and lonely vacuum. If you're so excited about the show that you just can't hold it any longer, give this a listen and see if it scratches the itch. Wow, that's a that's a rock solid review right there. Scratches the itch. Herpes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, next next review though. Yeah, not a sponsor. Thank you, RNG Thoughts for Puffy Vagina. <laughs> this next one is if you enjoy discussions about buttholes. Speaking of things that itch. <laughs> By Justin DeRay. These gentlemen keep you entertained. Big fans of RAM and podcasts will enjoy these fellas. They do a pretty solid gerb. Don't mind the endless usage of the term like, Travis and me. I I counted about a dozen likes in the last 10 minutes that I said. So if you do mind, then get over it. Ha, I bet these guys bump donuts every time they meet. That is true. Uh, But that's okay. I'd smash Summer also. It's BS we can't because cartoons tend not to age. She's perpetually 17 for the remainder of the series. I also go by the call sign Scooty Puff Sr. Hey, Scooty Puff Sr., we just talked about you. Love you guys. What? Now be funny. Smiley face. Ah, the pressure to be funny. <laughs> I can't take it, Brandon. I can't. Uh, I can't thank you. I, I like, like, like your review and stuff. <laughs> that, the first one doesn't count. Because you liked his review. Yeah. You like, like. I like, like it. I'm, tr- I'm trying, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, go. It's your, we, have a couple it, of, we have a couple of Tylers to talk about before we get out of here. It's your turn first, Travis. Okay. So, um, should I talk about my Tyler or no, our Tyler? Our Tyler. Let's talk about our Tyler. Let's let's talk about our Tyler. Uh, 
and that's and that's Tyler Tigno uh, as as his uh, his Twitter handle uh, might well it's it's his name on Twitter um, <laughs> uh, and and so he he left a uh, a very nice video over over on the on the Twitter sphere um, just kind of talking about his appreciation for the show and and shouting out. Uh, why other people should should listen to the podcast and things like that. Uh, we made sure to uh, retweet that ourselves. So hopefully, if you're following us on Twitter, you got a chance to see it. But this is this is exactly what I'm talking about with with Unity. The uh, overwhelming support that we receive sometimes, and just how flattering it is. I think to have people go out of their way, take even a couple minutes to share the show with people uh I, I i've had people come up to me and be like oh hey like i just told someone else and, and these are like people like i work with that are like oh someone <laughs> mentioned rick and morty and i was like oh that guy's got a that guy's got a, a podcast you should totally go listen to it so anytime somebody is sharing the show whether it's online or word of mouth uh we we, we just truly truly appreciate it so so thank you tyler for for doing that uh, with a video, with, a very very impressive stuff. Yes, absolutely. Now moving on to your Tyler, uh, my Tyler. Uh, so your your friend Tyler that you've known for a very very long time. He since we were wee ones in elementary school. Yes. So you you and he have talked about how he was like ah Brandon singing like I want to I want to uh, slit his throat. It, 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 <laughs> I don't think even, I don't think it went down quite I mean, like even, that. Even, but you know, whatever. even if he's not a parasite, I just I want to see him bleed out. That's some like that's verbatim what he said to you. I think. A anyway, so so last last episode, I did that shitty that shitty rap. I put put out that shitty rap, and and he sent he sent me a, a very he sent us a very long email, but it was it was for me, just just basically saying that he appreciated it and he thought I was actually, it was, it was good. And that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put this here. I know that's okay. No, no offense, but the interstitial songs just don't communicate your talent effectively. I know that's intentional, but intentionally bad lol is different than intentionally bad, but I could beat your shit if I really wanted to. And then he called me Bob Ross something. Uh, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. there's more to it. There's some sort of, you know, analogy about Bob Ross painting. And, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he, he, he thought, he thought you did a good job on that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I'm glad that, that a friend from, from my way back past <laughs> and my, and my friend from my current past, uh, can, can, can bridge this gap <laughs> and, and, and Bob Ross each other, whatever, whatever it means online. So, yeah. Uh, but thank you, Tyler, for the very nice and hilarious email. Thank you, Travis uh, and Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um that I will I will still claim ownership. Yes, yes. And and I I think that that's really all all we have this week. Um I just want to say to Tyler, our Tyler, Unity, everyone out there who sends us all your sauce packet photos. And, oh, so many so many sauce packets. We got we got a ton. B Billy King Triple X uh <laughs> you, you know uh Everyone out there, thank you, really, but from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for uh, supporting us and for listening to us talk for another 20 or so minutes after the Ryan Elder interview. So, um, yeah, 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 that's all I got.
Uh, all right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, we'll we'll do our darndest to to find some some more people to talk to. And uh, next week, what what's what's the episode next week, Brandon? Oh, or in in two weeks' time. I think. Hold on. I think it's Rick Potion number nine. Oh, you're right. The the departure from C one thirty seven, as it were. I'm I'm a flu hating rapper. So go watch, go watch Rick Potion number nine. Send us your thoughts on that. Send send us questions. Uh, I I know we ask a lot of questions from from Reddit's previous rewatches and things like that. But uh, go watch the episode and send us questions. We would love to discuss your thoughts on this episode. Absolutely. Uh, on the next podcast. So so go do that, and then we will be back in a couple weeks with Rick Potion number nine. That's ready to go. That's right. Flu hate rappers out. I'm Brandon. All right. I'm Travis. Thanks for listening.